When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick. Coming up in this episode, we're going to jump into some thrash metal. And then because it's getting cold outside, we'll discuss the top five kinds of winter clothing. Gloves? Thick socks? Which one you going with? By the time I was 13, I was pretty deeply entrenched with like, yes, I want to play drums for a living. I want to be in a band. I want to tour the world. I want to be in the rock and roll field. The last two songs written for Alien were a song called Skexis and another song called Shitstorm. And both those songs are pretty damn mighty on the drums. And those did come from like a lot of, you know, just pent up frustration that we both needed to get out. Cowboy sets up, sets him up, stands in front of him. He's like, my son, you just can't shit on people. My, my mindset, my mindset is reversed. I think you can have lighter boots if you have heavier socks. No, I think you go heavier boots, lighter socks. Lie to you. But a neck warmer is different than a scarf. You look like an idiot wearing a neck warmer, which signals to everyone around you, wow, you look so stupid, it must be cold. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. I was so excited to talk to our first guest. Not just because he's the first rock star that we've had on this podcast, but also because he's a pioneer in thrash metal music. And it's fascinating to me to learn about that kind of music, but also to hear it, to hear about it from somebody who was there from the start. He's been in a number of different bands over his long career, everything from death to fear factory, strapping young lad, dark angel. So he's got some really cool stories that you're about to hear. But there's also this this fascinating perspective about how if you know what you want and you're willing to work for it, you can find a way to do it. This is heavy metal drummer Gene Hoagland. Was it always drums or was there another instrument first? Well, really, for me, it was it was always drums, even though I got kind of sidelined by uh, by what I was allowed to do in school, for instance. Like, I mean, I, I started off by getting piano lessons when I was a, a child. And then when I when I entered seventh grade, you know, I wanted to play some drums and the the beginning instruments class that you were forced to take. Uh, didn't allow drums, so they stuck a viola in my hand, and I was like, okay, well, I just turned that into a guitar every day when I got home. I'd be, but drums were the first love. That was the first thing I really, you know, I ever wanted to do. And, you know, when I was about 11 years old, I started formulating the, the concept of, hey, this is what I want to do for a living. And, by the time I was 13, I was pretty deeply entrenched with like, yes, I want to play drums for a living. I want to be in a band. I want to tour the world. I want to make a living at this. I want to, I want to be in the rock and roll field. And then by the time I was 13, that started evolving into, I want to be a heavy metal drummer. That's what I want to do. So, so that's, you know, it, 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 it was, I, I, I've mentioned this before. I am kind of the poster child for living one's dream. What was it about the drums, though, that attracted you to them? They weren't challenging. Like, if you pick up a guitar, you're going to be like, uh, but I think everybody has rhythm. Everybody has some kind of, you know, you, you, you tap on, you tap your toes, you tap your feet, you tap your, you know, you, you, beat along on the desk with with your hands everybody's got some kind of rhythmic tendency so you didn't really have to you know you could learn to play drums by playing air you know like air drumming i'm, I'm a huge proponent of it i i grew up beyond before i ever had a drum kit i had a i had a, a an amazing air drum kit that really worked as as the template for getting the drum kit you know you got a couple of sticks in your hand you're 
you're trying to, you know, I would give myself, I guess, you know, like little lessons, I suppose, you know, I'd, I'd put on my favorite records and I'd air drum to those and I'd be figuring out, okay, the kick drum's doing this, the hands are doing this and, oh, here's this fill coming up. I got that one. I, I can sense what he's doing. So air drum that fill. And I've also mentioned before, my air drum kit was huge. It was gargantuan. It was Neil Peart side. So, so that was pretty cool. So that, that, you know, it just helped me. By the time I got on a kit, I kind of already had the, the facilities to, the faculties, I guess, to, to you know, I'm, I'm doing okay right out of the gate because I've been air drumming for two or three years, three or four years, whatever. When you got started, like when did you realize you were good? Well, let me see. The very first time I ever jammed with somebody, I jammed with my cousin. My cousin was six years older than me, and I was visiting family in El Paso, and he had a he had a little band together, and so I was I was twelve. He was eighteen. He had a band going, and he's like, "Hey, let's let's you know I got band rehearsal later. Let's go down a couple hours early. Let's you know let's see what you got." And he was the first guy I jammed with, and I was able to just keep up with everything he was doing, no problem. I've even got a recording of this, my very first jam on the drums ever. Have have a cassette of it, stocked away somewhere. But he was like, "Dude, you I did not expect." you to sound like you just did. And I'm like, well, I've been air drumming to Rush for the last couple of years, so I should be decent, you know? And he was like, dude, that was killer. So I guess that was kind of the the first time I realized, all right, I'm, 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 I'm doing all right. What makes you good at it? Do you just have really good rhythm? Is it a physical thing? Like, Well, that I, I suppose that is a multi-tiered answer well like i i do have pretty decent coordination i i had a real athletic background growing up like it was it was a matter of you know do i want to be a rock and roll drummer for my life or do i want to really try to enter pro baseball because i was really good at baseball and my dad was always like hey son why don't you why don't you try the baseball thing first and you know become a multi-millionaire by the time you're 30 retire then then start your band stuff and i'm like no dad it doesn't work like that you know so i think he was he was he was always supportive but i think he was like man okay so this means my son is gonna not only become a rock and roll drummer he's gonna become an underground thrash metal drummer is there any money in that of course not so you know for a while he was probably shaking his head scratching his head just going man you should have chosen baseball kid but (laughs) i was happy i you know that was the thing about about baseball was at that time baseball had some characters in it but there was never like a a, like a dennis rodman who was like an absolute freak you know um so i was a freak when i was 13 you know i had long hair i had wearing the spikes and the gauntlets and i was wearing my sister's clothes to games and things like that and my my leagues always kind of scratched their head at me and by the time i was getting into like okay, I'm you know I'm gonna tr- maybe perhaps try out for the for the high school baseball team. My high school baseball team was a great team, and they ended up winning the the, the state championship. However, my my the coach was like, dude, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to cut your hair for this. And I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna do that. And he's like, well, you ain't gonna play on this team then. So I was like, well, that's it then. That's that's my deciding factor there. Rock and roll doesn't force any kind of rules on me but baseball here is I, I i haven't even started yet and they're foisting all these rules so i'm i'm not a real rules person even back then so you tell me to stand i'm gonna sit you tell me to sit i'm gonna stand um so having that coordination i think is 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 really good but for me and i've always professed this for 30 something years is drumming for me is physical and it's 90% mental, especially when it comes to playing these fast double bass things and, you know, furious blast beats or whatever. You know, I mean, the the band has asked me to play some hauling double bass here. I'm going to figure out how to do that. And so just from early, early on, I just always figured out the way to get it done. What drove you into the type of music that, that you're playing now? It's the best music in the world. Aggressive thrash metal, aggressive metal. Um, that's my favorite to play. It's my favorite to listen to. Of course, I've got a very wide array of, you know, listening habits, but 
but the best for me is, you know, getting to getting to get up there and just, you know, freak out on the drums, play a lot of fast, heavy double bass and, and you, you get all your aggressions out. You know, my, I'm a pretty mellow person off stage and my wife tells me, I was like, dude, that's because you get to pound on your drums all day. You know, of course that's going to release any sort of aggression or energy you might have. Yeah, that's going to, that's going to help you create this calmness. Would people be surprised to kind of find out the personalities behind like a lot of heavy metal and speed metal and thrash metal? Are they, you know, I think the public would assume that they're kind of these mean, gruff people. Is that the case or is that not the case? Well, we, we like to put that out in photographs, you know, and, and lyrics. But, I mean, people are just people, you know. You're going to find nice people doing this. You're going to find you're gonna find jerks too. But, you know, I, I think most people are pretty cool and especially most – most musicians, most, most metal musicians, I, I think we're a pretty, you know, pretty cool lot, you know, for, for as many weirdos as there are, there's a million more just down to earth folks. And that's one thing I think was very helpful for my, uh, introduction into into music was that i do come from you know the thrash metal background the inception of thrash i will admit i'm an og thrash metaler i was there from the absolute inception of it and thrash metal was even before it was called we didn't we didn't call it thrash metal at the time there was no term for it but the kind of metal that we were playing was very against the the airs that you put on as, as a, you know, rock and roll star or whatever, you know, like all the, I, I, I grew up in LA and seeing all the LA bands and all the, all the bands that would act like rock stars, but you're, you know, you're just a club band. You're just doing all the same thing. All the other bands do. You don't need to be showing up to your shows in limousines and all this, you know, all this stuff that your, your mom and dad would rent for you for the, for your show. Um, you know, it, it was, it was anti, putting on those airs and you know thrash metal to me was it was supposed to be very down to earth you should be approachable you're just you're just a fan who gets up there on stage in the same clothes that you wear during the day that's what you play in don't don't put on some false front of i'm this big rock star you know i was I was 16 17 when i was playing my first shows and being in my first bands and and I'm, I'm, I'm no, you know, I wasn't an expert at, at how to act, but it was just like our style of music that we're, we're, we're helping create and attempting to get a scene going with. It, it's a very down to earth style. So those teenage and early twenties years though, of being in a band, what do you remember kind of about that period? A whole lot of work. I was a very young focus guy. Like that's one thing I, I I will admit I've I've had I had a teenage life unlike anybody else I knew. I mean, there's other people that have had lives like mine, but nobody I went to school with had anything close to a life that I went. I started. My sister was five years older than me. She would drag me out to all the clubs. She was 18. I was 13. I was going to, you know, the Troubadour, the Whiskey, the Roxy, the, you know, Woodstock, Radio City, Concert Factory, all these clubs in the greater L.A. area. I was going to those on a regular basis. And this was, you know, in the early 80s before the before they would really ID you. I'm going to all these clubs after the show. You know, I'm seeing all the bands that uh, w went on to become enormous bands, you know, all the Great Whites and Motley Crues and Rats and Dawkins and all that, all those bands I used to see in the clubs. We'd go to the parties afterwards with, with the bands. I would, I, I didn't drink or smoke or anything like that. I didn't do drugs. I, I, I did well in school. So my parents were like, We've got nothing really to fault the guy with. I mean, he's he's not doing anything bad. He's keeping up his grades. Okay, he's not getting a lot of sleep, but he doesn't seem to need much. So we'd go straight. I'd go straight to high school, or I'd go straight to school, getting dropped off in junior high after a party. You know, getting dropped off at eight a.m. at school, and I'd deal with the whole day. So I, I one thing that 
you know, and th- these were all the, 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 the days when I, that these were helping me decide this is what I want to do. So I would be at these parties and I'd see these, you know, future rock stars doing what they do at parties and, you know, the guys that were just getting hammered drunk. Sometimes those guys would not make it to the lineup where the band got famous. You know, so I was like, well, just keep an open eye on this, see what works and see what doesn't. And I'm not into drinking or or taking drugs. So that's kind of out of the equation anyway, but just try to learn how, you know, if this is a industry you want to get into, try to learn it from, from the get go. So my first few years in a band were me being a young focused guy. If we'd be out on tour and the rest of the guys want to go party after the show and go to the local club or whatever. Cool. I'm going to be in the back of the bus or the van or whatever we're in, the RV, with a guitar in my hand, writing the next album. Did you ever lose that focus, though? Did the lifestyle ever kind of get to you? To a degree, I suppose I allowed some lifestyle to enter into my life because after Dark Angel, I'd never drunk or anything before that. And then, you know, I picked up some drinking because I had joined Death pretty immediately after Dark Angel. And I didn't have to do work all the time. I didn't have to... You know, write write the music, write the lyrics, do the biz, do the interviews, take care of everything. I didn't have to do that with death. Chuck was on top of all that. So I had more free time on my hands. So after the show, you know, a lot of times you're stuck with an interview or something like Chuck would be. And I'd be like, I got nothing to do. So I'll nip off this bottle and have some fun. And I don't know if I lost my focus. Um, I don't think so. But I allowed some relaxation into my life, you know, some fun. So um, after my death years, I moved up to Canada and I, you know, I was working with Devin Townsend and Strapping on Lat and all that. And, you know, I, I usually entrench myself in whatever town I move to. I'll entrench myself in the local scene, support the bands, go out and see a bunch of bands. And, you know, with that comes some party. And so I, I got some party on in Vancouver. And since those days, I've I've quit drinking. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty healthy, relatively sober individual. I smoke a little pot. Now I have such a focus on what I do. Um, now it's, you know, the real important years to remain focused and re up your focus. Like I'm 52 now. I started this when I was 16 or whatever, my, my little career. So, I'm, I'm 35, 36 years into it now. And, and now my focus is, is my next 20 years, my next 30 years. This is something playing brutal, aggressive metal is something I intend to be doing deep into my seventies and not just in a cute way. Like, Oh, look, he can still do it. No, I intend to dominate as a drummer that you are doing the, you know, the thrash metal and things like that. Could you go into another type of music? Like, could you? Walk into a jazz band. And I, well, drum I that. do all the time. Like that was one thing. Up when when I left strapping, or just when when strapping dissolved, and I'm like, okay, well, you're about to enter a real, you know, wide open, independent phase of your career. What is it that you wish to do now, Gene? And I was like, I'd really like to be known as 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 a well rounded drummer. Um, so. Uh, focus some of your energy towards you know, just outside of metal and, you know, show to people that you can play more than, than just metal. I am a well-rounded drummer. I, I can enter a funk project or a pop project or, or whatever because I've always felt like as a drummer, you need to support the song. For instance, my drums with Strapping Young Lad weren't like the, was not like the style that I had in Death, and Death was not like the style I had in, in Dark Angel, and and Testament is a style you know that is not. It doesn't need to be just drums going crazy all the time. There's a like say a fill that I'm I've recorded, or even a beat or something where I'm like, I don't know if that's the right beat. For, for this song, but if the, if the writer of the song is like, well, that's, that's really the one I'm hearing. That's the one I'm feeling. I'm like, okie doke. Well, let's, let's play what you feel and I'm okay. Do you have a certain philosophy when it com- comes to the drum? The, the creativity that you put into the brain of the song 
um, that's easily uh, brought to the table on the playing side. Like if you could think it, you could play it. That's the way I feel. So if I think of some, think up some crazy nuts drum fill, crazy lick or crazy beat, if I work it out in my head, I can usually sit behind the kit and get it. You know, I've already got it in my head for the last 12 hours or whatever. You know, I, when, when I sit on the, on the kit, I can usually play it off the bat. So that's, that's kind of where that 90% mental comes in. What is the best band name that you've heard? There's a hilarious one from a band in LA. And I'm not saying this is a great name or anything, but I love this name because it seems like it would be so hard to chant at a show. This band, they might not even exist anymore, but I saw them on a few bills about 10 years ago. This band was called Intestinal Strangulation. Fun enough name, but how do you chant that? Intestinal Strangulation. Intestinal. Like, how, how do you get a chant going for that? But I always thought that was fun. But, um, I remember, God, uh, Dark Angel back in 1991, we played a show in Hawaii. We played a couple shows in Hawaii and we had this opening band, kind of a, kind of a hardcore, kind of a punk band, and they were called BYK. And, you know, we didn't think anything of it, but after the second show, we were like, man, you know, you guys are killer, man. It was a great, couple of great shows. Nice working with you. By the way, what does BYK mean? And they're like, beat your kids. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, that's awesome. Wow, cool. So, you know, very un-PC by today's standards, but I thought that was pretty fun. But Of the bands that you've been in, which name did you like the best? I come from... A, a, I, I've had a career where I have had three rather sillily named bands, and the first one was Dark Angel. I got to admit, man, when I joined Dark Angel, my my very first band that I ever jammed with was a band called Dark Angel, and it was completely unrelated to the Dark Angel that I ended up joining. You know, it had nothing to do with it. it just happened to have that band name. And I remember, you know, I was like 15 or something like that at the time, and I made the guys change the name because I didn't think Dark Angel was strong enough. You know, I made them change the name to like Carnage or something like that. They're like, okay. But, you know, they had a philosophy to why they were called Dark Angel. And I was like, yeah, your philosophy's bullshit. Let's, you know, why don't we change the name to Carnage? Yeah. And then, you know, a year or two after that band, I joined Dark Angel. This Dark Angel, a little more established. I couldn't be walking in going, hey, change your band name. So I just embraced it. And then I went from that to death. I mean, I got to admit, man, when, when, you know, we were all, I was pen pals with Chuck during the Mantis days. And when, you know, we, we all paid attention to what was happening in the burgeoning Floridian scene. Um, and when Chuck changed his band name to death, we were all like kind of scratching our heads like, whoa, dude, that's like, you know, is, is that cool? Chuck made it cool. But at the time when he changed it, I was like, ooh, death. Hmm. I'm not sure about that, bro. And then, of course, strapping young lad. I mean, that's one of the silliest names ever, but it's awesome. Strapping young lad was a great name for, for, you know, just, it would, you would not expect to hear Strapping Young Lad's music coming out from Strapping Young Lad, the name. You know, like, I remember hearing from a lot of people thinking that Strapping Young Lad was like this Blink-182 happy little pop band. Like, I, I back when I used to read, like, forums and things like that, and people would be on Blabbermouth complaining, Strapping Young Lad, look, that's... That band sucks, man. They sound like Blink-182. And then I'd see other people going, are you sure you're listening to Strapping on Lad? Like, this does not sound like Blink-182 or Green Day or any of that kind of stuff. Sound 41, whatever. Um, so I really enjoyed the name Mechanism for one of my projects. I, I happened to come up with that one. I thought that was a really cool name. I like Testament. I think Testament's a great name for a band. I... I I remember when they were legacy and I've heard the stories of how they got changed to Testament. And when I remember them changing their name, I'm like, Testament, that's pretty cool. You know, cool, strong, one word name. Way to go, dudes. Who do professional drummers think is the best drummer of all time? Most guys would, you know, especially from my era, a lot of guys were super into John Bonham. 
I can see why people think he's the best rock drummer of all time. The man was amazing. I admit, I did not really discover or get into Bonham until, gosh, I was in my 20s. Neil Peart is considered one of the greatest. And by purists, I know there's a lot of drummers that are better than Neil Peart. Um, you know, more more intricate, more, you know, I love Neil Peart. I worshiped the man growing up because I could understand what he was doing. And the fact that Rush was, you know, uh, it was pretty darn prog to me when I'm 9, 10, 11, you know, and I could see where people today would consider Dave Grohl to be the best rock and roll drummer out there. I'd have to agree with that because the man is so tasty, so killer, and I love the guy's work. I wish he played more drums. You know, I mean, he's a great songwriter. Has you know, I'm, I I enjoy the Foo Fighters music to to a large degree. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of great drummers out there. Song of yours that you're most proud of? Um, boy, that's I have over fifty albums out. So trying to pare that down, I tell you, I love the song Skexis from Strapping Young Lad. I love that song. It was such a fun song to write. It came from an element of purity and and kind of aggression and anger from, from Devin and myself. We were both in some pretty challenging personal spaces in our lives, but when we were writing the Alien record, you know, we were really getting, you know, we were getting into each other's mindsets a lot. And, and so, you know, the, the, the last two songs written for Alien were a song called Skexis and another song called Shitstorm. And both those songs are pretty damn mighty on the drums. And those did come from like a lot of, you know, just pent up frustration that we both needed to get out. So those were, those are two prime examples there. Oh my fucking God from Strapping. That's another killer song. And, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff on Devin's Infinity album. I love, you know, I love the songs. I, I, I loved being able to buttress those songs pretty darn well, I thought. So I, I love the stuff that myself and my wife are writing. Uh, my wife is Lara Christine and she's a, you know, best writing partner I've had in 20 years. So she's killer at writing the riffs and she, you know, sticks on me about the drums. Like I'll, I'll play some beats that I think are really cool. She's like, yeah, I don't know, dude. Come on. You're, you're Gene Hoagland. Do something cooler than that. I'm like, okay. She, she does not lay, lay it down easy on me. You know, she's, she's pretty tough on me and I appreciate that. So is, yeah. there, is there any songs that you have that were popular ones that you never understood why they were popular? Merciless Death from Dark Angel. That was, and, and I think that's because that was our simplest song, but it's always the one that you are like, this is my, you know, there's seven songs on this record, and this is my seventh favorite song on this record, but for some reason it's super popular. And a lot of times I have come into a project after this band has their already established classic songs and i'll admit there are some of sometimes in those projects where i'm scratching my head like wow you guys have a lot of really incredible songs yet this one is your popular one oh it's the simplest song it's the one that just people get what's your best rock and roll story oh lord my god jesus how do i tear that down to one um would it be a story that happened to me or a story that was relayed to me? Because my favorite rock and roll story is one that was relayed to me, but how about, I don't even know why this is my, still my favorite. But how, how about both? The one that was relayed to me was, was, it was my, my friend Jason McMaster, who I've been friends with Jason since about 1985. Jason used to sing, and, and still does to a degree, for a band called Watchtower from Austin, Texas. He later went on to be in the band um, Dangerous Toys. You may remember them. Um, they had some hits in the late 90s. I mean, I'm sorry, late 80s, and were doing a lot of really cool touring. And he was telling me about the time when they were out on tour with a band called Saigon Kick, and I'm, I'm really familiar with the name Saigon Kick. I'm not super familiar with their their music, but and he was saying that, um, and 
I could have the band name wrong. It could have been somebody else, and we could have been talking about Saigon Kick during the same conversation, but I've always remembered it as he was on tour with Saigon Kick, and um, Saigon Kick's vocalist, I believe, you know, he was he was really sick, and he wasn't taking care of himself. Like, he wasn't, like, pounding the, the seas and, and doing all that. He was eating just big steaks and doing horrible things and his gut wasn't doing well and he was, you know, drinking cough medicine and just churning his guts. And um, he, like, one of the guys from his band was was just taking a nap on the front lounge couch of, of the bus and he walked by the guy, dropped his pants, merely intended to fart in the guy's face, but uh, he followed through. And so, but he gets up, trying to, you know, trying to kick his ass, and he runs to the back of the bus, locks the back of the bus, and, you know, guy who just got shit on is, is trying to kick down the back door of the bus, and the bus driver gets on, and the bus driver was named Cowboy, and the bus driver liked to kind of terrify the band with some of his stories about what a fucking hard human being cowboy was, you know, like raping dudes in prison and that sort of thing. And so um, cowboy gets on, calms the situation down, pulls the guy out of the back of the bus, takes him outside the bus to like the back of the bus. And, and the, the, the guy who did the shitting shit in his pants. Cause he's like, he's heard all the stories from cowboy Cowboy's about to take him off and into this little, you know, secluded little spot. He's like, I don't know what this guy's about to do to me. Cowboy sets up, sets him up, stands in front of him. He's like, My son, you just can't shit on people. <laughs> and God, that, that, I've just howled about that, <laughs> uh, you know, to this day. Son. You just can't shit on people. I just thought that was the most funniest thing I'd ever heard. That was 25 years ago that I heard that. So there's probably a bunch of funnier ones that have come along. But, you know, there were a lot of things that weren't funny at the time. Like when Dark Angel was, we were on tour in 1989 and we were traveling from, uh, from Portland to the, to San Francisco and that's about a 10 hour drive and we had just played Seattle the night before Portland and this guy had come up to us and said hey I'm trying to work my way down to San Francisco could I maybe jump on your tour do whatever odd jobs you guys need and just you know just help you guys out for the next couple of days and we were all young and stupid so we're like yeah sure man come along man. We'll, we'll put you to work and sure enough we did in the Portland show and as we're driving from Port, you know, like I said, it's a 10 hour drive. I am driving the equipment truck and we are now in Dunsmere, California from Portland. That's probably seven, eight hours sort of thing. Six, seven hours. It's a, it's a healthy, healthy haul. Um, and I pull into a service station. And I'm getting out of the van, I mean, out of the, the, the truck, and, and I've got this guy, he's my co-pilot, you know. And then I see our RV, who was following behind me, carrying the rest of Dark Angel. I see them pulling up, and there are six cop cars behind them, all with their lights on, all flashing. I walk into the, into the, 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 the store to pay for the gas, and Buddy's looking at me, Buddy's behind the counter looking at me kind of strange. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking past him out the window and seeing, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of cop cars. And then I see every, there's six cars. I see 12 cops get out of their cars and point high powered rifles at our RV. And I'm like, you know, cause the first thing I'm thinking is like, where the guy's like swerving, we're, we're not going that fast. I've got a governor on this thing and they're following me. So I can't, you know, I'm not doing 80. Like, it's not like we're speeding. Like, why, why are my guys getting pulled over? Um, and the guy asked me, are you with that RV? Are you with that RV of long haired bikers? I'm like, wait, long haired bikers. What? And they're like, well, we've 
we've all, up and down the five freeway here, we've all been getting calls from the police, all the hotels, all the restaurants, all the gas stations, been getting calls from the police for the last hour. They've been following you for an hour because they are under the impression that you guys are a rolling meth wagon traveling from town to town delivering meth. you got a bunch of long-haired bikers in there, and they're waving guns around, and they're pointing guns at passing motorists. I'm like, wait, what? I've... Now, I know there's weapons on our vehicle. Dark Angel Tour, there are weapons, guaranteed. However, none of my guys are stupid enough to be pulling out their weapons and waving them around. However... I started thinking back to a couple of days before all of this, when we were in Salt Lake City, we did a we did an in-store at a place called the Heavy Metal Shop, well-known on the scene at the time, record store. Next to that record store was a toy store where the band all got themselves water pistols that looked real. And so I'm like, wait a minute, these guys... You know, I could see them waving around water pistols inside the van, inside the, the RV, <laughs> spraying each other down. I get that. So I'm like, oh, shit. And they're pulling each guy out one by one, you know, like the, the, the cops on the bullhorn. You know, you get out, hands up in the air, drop to your knees, drop to the ground, hands spread out. They've, I'm looking, and one by one, they're pulling the band and crew out, lying them down on the ground. Then they're done with, you know, I see my last member get out they got those guys situated then all of a sudden there's like you know 10 cops that rush the store come grab me force me out and this whole time i'm thinking actually before i'm even thinking the water pistols i'm thinking this guy that we've picked up this guy's a serial killer they're looking for this guy you know i mean green mountain now, the Green River Killer, he's somebody, you know, he's hes a serial killer. They're looking for this guy. That's when the guy behind the counter had explained, no, here's what they're actually looking for you for. And so they come grab me, throw me on the ground with everybody else, and they explain same thing that Buddy explained to me. We think you've got weapons. Where are the weapons? Tell us where the weapons are. We're like, we don't have any weapons. And then we hear a cop, you know, they're searching the vehicle. They hear, we hear a cop from inside. We found the weapons. We found the guns. And we're like, oh shit, God, did they find our actual stash of weapons? And then you hear another cop go, oh shit, they're water pistols. <laughs> and so, you know, they, they, they had us, you know, and at the time, it wasn't funny at the time, but you know, we got some humor out of that later on, but there's there some rock and roll stories for you. That's pretty much all the questions I got, man. What do you got coming up? Well, let's see. I've got um, next week, about 10 days from now, we start rehearsals for a Death Clock show that is coming up. That's pretty cool if you're familiar with Death Clock. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm real excited about that. That's going to be really awesome. It's going to be our first show in about five years. So that's what I'll be doing when, when, when this interview is over. I'll be heading down to my rehearsal space, and I'm getting prepared for it. Um, so I'm going to hit that first rehearsal like it's our 12th show. You know, it always takes a, a few days to get your legs when you're you know going out on a fresh tour with – with a band, so and this isn't a tour; it's just a single show. But I want to make sure that I'm super prepared for it. So that's coming up. That's going to be at a place called the Bank of California Stadium up in LA. And perhaps by the time this airs, you know, we could have already played the show. The show happens on November fifteenth, so we're pretty excited about that one. That's going to be cool. And then I've got some Dark Angel shows coming up in early December. I've got, and that's in Mexico, and and um. I've got some clinics in Mexico following those shows, and um, I know there's some Testament stuff coming up. Let me see. Uh, I know we got a tour going on in in February. Oh yeah, Testament is in in the middle of December. Testament will be traveling to uh, Kathmandu, Nepal, playing the first show there for the band. So that'll be interesting. 
I want to thank Gene so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we've also included his social media links and links to his website on the RSS feed that's on this podcast. If you couldn't tell from that interview, he's the nicest guy in the world. When I first called him and heard his voicemail, I was expecting something completely different. And it turns out he's the nicest man ever. Okay, so now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call, who may or may not have a big announcement. Hello? What's your thermostat set at right now? Uh, currently it is at 67 degrees. Hmm. Why 67? What Why is not- yours set at? Mine set at 62. No, it isn't. Yeah. Nobody has their thermostat set at 62 degrees. I do. You're going to tell me you can tell the difference between 62 and 67. You could walk outside and be like, nope, that's not 62. This feels more like 66. I know for for sure that there's a difference between 62 degrees in my house and 67 degrees. I mean, it would be a little bit colder, but I don't think it would be that much noticeable. I don't understand the point of 67. Why wouldn't you go 65 or 68? Those seem like much better numbers. I mean, you, you just asked me what my... What it was set at right now. Normally, I have this weird thing. I don't like it. I don't like the numbers not to be even. So if I could, I would want it to be 68. Why? Like that's it, what I have it set at. Well, why is it set at 67 right now? It's this whole long thing, but there's this eco setting when we're gone from the house. It's this whole thing. So then why not but put it that, to, if you like it at even numbers, why not put it to 66? Because it, it, it goes down to 62 when nobody's there. And then when somebody's in the house, it goes back up to the temperature that you set it at. But you said you like it at even numbers, and yet you set it at an odd number. No, I no, it's not set at an odd number. That's just what it is right now while it gets back up to 68. Okay, are you going to be able to tell? Let me know Let me know exactly when you can tell the difference that it's now back at 68 from 67. Listen, I have a question for you. Okay. Do you think when, you know, when someone asks you, when someone asks you how your day is going, or anything like that. Do you think they really give a shit? No, not at all. No, but, I, I think know. I think people actually do not expect you to answer with anything besides not bad. It, it's just it's a form of conversation. They're not really asking you that question. A formality, right? It's like, oh, hey, yeah. here's this guy. I'm just gonna say, you know, how's your day going? No, I don't even care. Yeah, no. I mean, I regularly ask people like, how you doing, and keep right on walking, not expecting them to answer it whatsoever. I think you should start answering in paragraphs essentially like you know what my dog died today and i'm a little depressed <laughs> maybe not something that example but just be like oh they didn't have you know i went to wanted to get something to eat before i came into work and then they didn't have the exact thing i wanted so i had to try something else it was pretty good but not what i wanted like go into a whole thing anytime somebody asks you that question have you ever had like the uh, random response that you did not expect and no. you're just like oh well that's awkward no, not really. I don't really ask people that question. I say, I'm a more what's up man. If you ask somebody how you're doing, they might actually give you an answer. If you just give them like a what's up, they understand that you just go not much and keep going about your day. Your approach right, is your, your approach that's, is too open ended. Well, I mean, some would argue that's my lifestyle. Being open ended? I don't know what you mean by that. Listen, I, I can I can I tell a story? I want to tell a story uh, real fast. They're always boring, though. No, I, I think you're gonna like this one. Here's the problem, right? This is like a bunch of friends of ours always wanted to come on the podcast and and talk about stories. The problem is, people's stories are only interesting to you unless you're like a rock star snorting lines of cocaine off the sides of the Alamo. Like your stories aren't that interesting. It's just okay, great. Yeah, we've all been drunk before. It happens. I mean, actually, this it, it was me doing cocaine off the side of the Alamo. How did you know that? How about let's do this. I'm going to grade your story on a scale of 1 to 10. If it is not a 7.5 and, and above, you can never tell a story again. Okay, that's fair. And, right. and I will even do my best to keep it under 2 minutes. No, it needs to be 30 seconds tops. I, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. I'll, I'll try. Okay, I'm going to start timing you. Every, hear about this. Every, every 30 seconds after the 30 seconds, I'm going to knock it down a point. Like from (laughs) 7.9 to 7.8 to 7.7. 
<laughs> okay. So if it's not a, if it's there's that's the deal. If it's not over a seven and a half, seven and a half or over, you never get to tell a story again. All right, fine, that's fair. Okay. Clock starting. Let's, all right. So uh Friday night I was with some people. We were uh we were going out, we were pre drinking beforehand. There was a picture uh in the basement that I was of of me on my wedding day, uh giving a, a, a certain face of of like ultimate exci- uh, like excitement, didn't expect it, blah blah blah. That's the, the story? best part is I, I I I point to the to to my right. It was me and my wedding party on my wedding day, uh, and a couple people were like, you know, what's going on? Why why are you making that face? Like it looks like somebody just shoved their hand up your ass. So I got to tell the story about how you know on your wedding day you're supposed to take pretty formal pictures until one of my groomsmen, you might know him, his name's Nick Vinzant, decided to shark attack my butthole, causing uh, me to have this reaction, which my photographer then snapped the perfect frame of me half enjoying, but yet half hating getting uh, a hand shoved up my ass. Is that the whole story? You told me to. You told me to to keep it short. It was a hit. Everyone that was there that did not know the story immediately thought you were the best person ever. That's like a two and a half. No, it's not. It's a it's it's a good funny story. I'm it's gonna a, post the picture so people know what I'm referring to. The problem is, here's my problem with that story. You're aware this is a podcast, correct? Some days. So a podcast is mainly an audio story. So you've told a story about something that is visual in an audio format. I don't understand why you have to hate so much. Because, look, this is what I brought up at the beginning. And if people have an issue with it, find another co-host then. Find somebody else that will let you (laughs) shark attack them and not knock you the fuck out. Look, there's probably about five or six people I've shark attacked that day alone. A shark attack is a very well-known way to... To get after somebody. Have you never been shark attacked before that? That was my first and last time I've ever been shark attacked. You need to, well, you need to involve more shark attacks. You, it's a very humorous way to just bother someone <laughs> in a random setting. You know, I, I don't think you give my stories enough credit. I don't think people hate my stories as much as you hate them. No, no, I, I, it's nothing against your story. It's against the medium of the storytelling, right? Like, it's a great story to the people who are aware of it and who can see the picture. But if you can't see the picture, then the story is kind of meaningless. But isn't that what a podcast is? Like, we're painting, like, an audiobook. Like, we're painting pictures for people. Well, then you've got to be more detailed in the expression on your face, right? Like, I don't feel like you painted the picture for me. Yeah, it's hard for me to really describe what my face looked like. Having... Uh, a fist up my butt. So here's this is this is <laughs> this is the thing that I think a lot of people do now, right? Like they claim that you're hating on them, or you're being negative, or you're being mean or rude when you're really just pointing out basic facts that even in the course of this argument you've agreed to, right? Like you're mad at me for pointing out the fact that you didn't paint a word picture which you agreed to, telling a visual story in an auditory medium. So, like, you agreed with my criticism of it, but yet got mad at me for criticizing you about it. I, I'm not really mad. I Nobody was arguing there. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I think people should get called out. I I don't I don't agree with the, the, your statement of uh, people don't want to hear stories that you can't, you know, show because it's a podcast that, you know, they need to be some kind of other story than – I mean, there, there's only one kind of story to tell. And we tell we talk about them all the time. What is it? Uh, just 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 story any, any kind of story. Like there's there's no doubt we paint pictures of of stories or comments or questions. I'll give you I'll give you a little bit more credit and bump it up to a three point two five. That's fine. I could have told a story that you know. Uh, won me a literary award, and you're still going to give me uh, uh, the highest of 4.7. No, I would have legitimately probably 
I, I thought that maybe I would be a little bit hard on you to begin with, so I actually factored that into it. Like, you can see in my reaction that I didn't even know the story was over. I, Well, you told me to keep it brief, so that's what I did. Like, Look, I was the, waiting, you know, and then I was like, oh, we saw this picture, and then we carried it around to the bars with us drinking all night long, and I ended up in a different country. Like, oh, okay, there's a good story. Well, listen, that that doesn't happen, okay? I mean, it could happen. You live right next to Canada. That is quite true, actually. <laughs> it's actually quite true. I live like 15 miles from the Canadian border. You're absolutely right. Could you swim? Could you swim? Could you swim over there? Oh, uh, I can boat to Canada. You have a boat, or would you have to borrow someone else's boat? I'd have to borrow uh, somebody else's boat. I don't. We don't have a boat anymore. I feel. Whoa! You used to have a boat. Yeah, we. I, my father used to have a fishing boat. Okay, you didn't have it. Your father did. That's not we. I said we had it. But he had it. You didn't have it. It was never yours. It was always his. You just happened to be his son. He just let you I got use to, it. I got to drive it, so technically I was a captain of the ship multiple times. But it's not yours. It's his, and he kind of lets you use it because you're his kid. Well, he didn't actually. He gave it to uh, one of my best friends for nothing, uh, and completely passed me up. So thank you, Dad. Appreciate that. <laughs> so basically, the boat that you said was yours was never yours. It was actually given to a friend in spite of you. That that's that's a fair argument. Thank you for bringing up a sore <laughs> subject. <laughs> and he gave it to him for free. How much would you have paid for it? I wouldn't have paid for it. That's that's originally why I was told. That he was giving it to somebody else was because that person had agreed to pay a little bit of money, and my father thought that he would use it more than I would, which is probably correct. That's true. How big of a boat are we talking? Give me this. Give me the footage. It was a twenty-foot fiberglass, uh, just just like little like recreational fishing boat. Nothing crazy. What kind of motor? How, what's top speed? Outboard, probably. Uh, I don't know. Probably thirty, thirty-five miles an hour. No, because you you could water ski behind it if you wanted to. You could have. Yep, it's pretty solid. Does it have Does it have a deck below deck? Uh, it does have a little cuddy cabin. Yes. Oh, okay, Mister. Yeah, you're. I'm impressed with your boat knowledge. If you can tell me where the bow, the stern, rear, and aft is, I'd be really impressed. <laughs> that that's not going to happen. I always fail that. I don't know what the answer is. You could have literally said anything, and I would have just agreed with you. I'm pretty sure the bow is the front, the stern is the back. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that that's correct, but I, I'm not going to go out there and put my name out there. Okay. Uh, I'm going to look that up. Are you ready for your segment? Oh, here's a whole description. All right. The bow is the front, the stern is the back, starboard is the right side, and port is the left side. You learned something new. Okay. Who knows? Let's move on. All right, so uh, let, let's start off with this one here. Uh, when you die, would you rather be cremated or buried in you know in the ground? Cremated. I feel like the whole burial process, now that I really think about it, is just kind of weird. Like your body's just you're just laying down there, like your bones are just at the bottom, just <laughs> sitting there. That's kind of weird. I always wonder uh, about that. Like, who who decided that it had to be six feet in the ground? Well, it's a good question in the sense of, like, why six feet as opposed to five feet? And did they measure it? Are yeah. they actually measuring it six feet down? Like, oh, no, buddy, that's five and a half. You got another six inches you got to get. Maybe it has something to do with the water table. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I, I want to be Han solo I want to be frozen in time. And just mounted, like, in your house? <laughs> stuffed like a taxidermy like, like i want my grandkids' grandkids to be like i don't know who that guy is but he's just hanging out and he's kind of a badass he's that, a badass looking you know statue you know what that's that's a question that we could maybe have answered if you wrote it in your will and wanted to be stuffed like an animal could you be taken to a taxidermist and have a human body stuffed <laughs> I 100% think that you could. Well, I mean, why couldn't you? They do it to uh, other creatures. Oh, it's illegal. It is illegal to mount a person in the United States. 
Why couldn't you, though? I'd See, I don't understand. Like, look, it may be technically illegal to stuff a human body like a taxidermist, but if that's what the person wanted, like, why couldn't you do it? What's the big deal? Do do uh, do taxidermists, do they have to report to some agency, like, what they taxidermy? Like, if I wanted to have it done, and, like, I found a taxidermist to do it, even though it's illegal, would they still do it? I would like, think- if I... If I wanted them to i mean i would think that it would just be way too much to regulate that because otherwise taxidermists would be i stuffed the dog today stuffed the deer like who's going to be reading all that crap nobody's gonna be paying any attention to it i think even if they did do it you could get away with it but what's your next thing thanksgiving or christmas which one do you not want to be a part of more oh extended family immediate family uh well We'll go immediate family. Immediate family, I probably don't want to deal with Christmas. I generally don't like watching people open gifts. I know I I don't like people watching me open gifts because I generally don't like any of them. I just I would have rather you kept the money. I really didn't want this fucking sweatshirt. So immediate family, I would rather not be around them for Christmas, and I'd rather take Thanksgiving. If I've got to be around extended family, I'll do that for Christmas. All right, and finally, uh, what's better, taking a shit in the morning or a hot shower in the morning? Uh, taking a poop. <laughs> the fact that you don't shower at night is still gross to me. That's just disgusting. But, I mean, you, I, it's, I, I, I wake up and I, I get all the crusties off. I mean, or, or I can go to bed after showering and then wake up and, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, that. I don't care when you shower. I, I just I choose to shower in the morning. It's just gross, though. But you went to bed with all of that day's nastiness all over you. You're essentially sleeping in your own filth every night. <laughs> There's a lot of jerking off going on. <laughs> I would imagine so. I would imagine <laughs> so. I would. <laughs> the only, what are these sheets made of? Uh, they're nine percent cotton and ninety one percent sperm. I, I think I think uh, I think we need to segue into our top five. Okay, uh, so our top five is going to be top five winter-related clothing items. What's your number five? Uh, so I have my number five is thermal wear. Okay, thermal wear. You're talking about like long underwear, right? Yeah, you know, like uh, it doesn't have to be this brand, but like you know, the the Under Armour like heat gear or, or uh, some kind of thin layered something that goes under the rest of your clothes to help keep your body temperature in. Okay. I just, I never understand stuff like that. I mean, it's not that far from your car to your house. Just tough it out for a couple of minutes. Like you really aren't going to survive. You're really that worried about it. I just think it's a mindset with people like, oh, I'm so cold. No, you're not. Man, you are, you are just brutal. You are. You are just your Nor- your Norwegian uh, ancestry is really kicking in here already. Uh, technically Swedish. I don't know if that's Norwegian or not. I believe Norwegian <laughs> is Norway. I'm from Sweden. No, I just but, think that, that that's why I asked you the question about the thermostat. That if you went in there and just cold call, cold call, ask somebody what the temperature is. You couldn't tell the difference between 62 and 72. But the temperature drops to 62, and everybody's got to have a coat, and their thermals, and their gloves, and their mittens, and you wouldn't know the difference at all. It's just a mindset thing. Like, just put it in your mind you're not going to care about it and move on about your day. My number five right, is— Nostradamus. What's your number five? Nostradamus predicted the future. He did not analyze the future present, which is what I just did. What's your number five? Snow pants. you got to have a choice. Good... Yeah. I mean, I, I just can't—look, you're great for skiing. They're great for sledding. They're great for just going outside. It's just a, snow pants are solid. <laughs> uh, my number four, I have boots. You need like good winter boots. I think that's too low, man. I think that's a good call, but I think that's too low on the list. We'll see. We'll see. I got, I got some good ones coming up. Okay. Where do you put your boots? Do you take your boots off at the door to your house? You tracking them in the, through the whole house? What are you doing? Uh, we have like a, a little landing, uh, you know, okay. from like our, our, I don't know what room you call it, I guess our front room. Foyer. Uh, yeah, foyer. To, to our foyer. So like that's, you know, that's where 
all the uh, clothes taking off usually happens if you catch my drift. I I do. Um, <laughs> this is probably what leads to all your excessive masturbation. Um, wait, mommy, now. mommy, what's that polar bear doing in the window? Do you have like a rack that you put them on, or you just put them straight on the floor? Uh, during the winter, they'll just go straight on the floor. But uh, when they're hibernating, see what I did there. Uh, mm-hmm. During the summer, uh, I we built like a little rack for them to get off the floor. You built a rack. You built it's it. It's really yeah. It's not that difficult. It's just a couple of you know a couple of planks of wood and you know just uh, it's not it's not difficult. Is it was it level? I feel like it's probably not level. I mean, it hasn't fallen apart yet. I want to see a picture because here's what I'm imagining. I'm imagining this looks like a two-year-old did it. Like it's crooked, <laughs> it's one piece of wood, and then another piece of wood. Like it just looks like crap. I want to see a picture of what it looks like. I, I will be happy to send you one. Okay. Uh, my number four is thick socks. Okay. I, I also have socks on the list, but kind of what you just said about my boots at number four, I, I think socks should be higher myself. See, but here's why I didn't put it higher, is because if you have good boots, then you don't need the thick socks, right? You're protecting but your feet from the beginning. My my mindset, my mindset is reversed. I think you can have lighter boots if you have heavier socks. No, I think you go heavier boots, lighter socks. I've done it both ways. I've done it all ways. I know that. Now that's another story that you should have told. Um, what's your number three? <laughs> uh, I have uh, actually uh, socks are my number three. Okay, all right. Um, my number three is a beanie or a hood. I think those are really important. All right, my number two is the hat. So a hat. Well, you know, a winter hat, winter beanie. So we're talking some about kind the same of thing. Winter headwear. Uh, but can we can we both agree that maybe the most disappointing thing when it comes to working outside in the winter is if you have like a winter beanie on is it could be 10 degrees outside and you're shoveling the snow and you go inside and you're just you're a ball of sweat and you're like how am i sweating when it's 10 degrees outside because like i said earlier people over dramatize how cold it is i've never understood that idea like i'm sweating like a madman under all these layers you didn't need all of them you could have just went out there in a long sleeve shirt and you would have been fine <laughs> i mean to, to, to be honest though i don't know if you've ever lived in a state where it's gotten extremely cold kansas you drop into the negatives in kansas with windchill okay all right i guess i'll have to i'll have to read up on my Kansas, Kansasian weather. Kansas, it was Kansas weather. <laughs> it's just Kansas. We're so fucking plain. It's just Kansas. It's just Kansas, man. <laughs> it's, it's not <laughs> Kansas. The Midwest, that part of Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, has the worst weather in the entire country. I'm not talking about isolated incidents in the extremes, but they have everything. Right? It'll get up to 110, and it'll get negative 10. It's just awful. It's the worst place in the world. What's your number two? Boots. Good pair of boots. Okay. Oh, we got. I, I thought. I thought no way would we have the same number one. What's your number one? Gloves. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think you would put gloves. I think gloves are the most important thing. I, I agree. I why the reason why I have socks and gloves so high on the list are because to me, like my body temperature. I know this isn't the way it is, so I'm not saying it from a scientific standpoint, but. If my fingers or or toes are cold, I'm cold for the fucking rest of the day. Yeah. Once once it gets in there, you can't get it out. That's why hands are awful. Like like I I don't care if I am 275 pounds as of last year. If my hands or or feet are cold, (laughs) I'm fucked. What kind of gloves are you going? Are you going like nicer gloves? Like those isotoners they used to have commercials with? Are you going like the cheap cloth ones? Are you going full on mittens? No, no, no. I learned I learned uh, about ten years ago that I I will spend a little bit extra money to get some good gloves. How like, much? How much are you spending on a good pair of gloves? Give me a give me a number. Probably between twenty and forty bucks. Is that a good pair of gloves? I feel like that's just above decent. Oh, I mean, maybe I I don't know. To me. 
to me, that's uh, you know that's uh, uh, an acceptable price range. Well, I mean, if you get forty, that's pretty far up there. I guess it depends on like if you're getting ski gloves. Forty's not crazy for a good pair of ski gloves, in my opinion. Like I, I'm not going to CVS and getting like the two dollar ninety nine cent uh, winter gloves. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, those don't really work very well. Uh, do you have an honorable mention? Not really. I tried thinking of stuff. I just, I mean, I, there, there's not. I mean, there's really only so many articles of winter clothing. I don't think that men should wear scarves. I really just don't. It's 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 pointless, right? Like, oh my gosh, my neck is cold. Yeah, scarves make no sense. If you have a, if you have four chins like I do and three necks, you're not going to be able to stay warm. It's just the way it is. Would you have to wear multiple scarves? <laughs> oh yeah, I'd have to like have them sewed together. I'd have to wear a blanket around my neck. It's <laughs> just full blanket. Have you ever had a? Ne- I've had a neck warmer though. Skiing actually it was pretty. It was pretty nice. I'm not gonna lie, you, lie to you. But a neck warmer is different than a scarf. You look like an idiot wearing a neck yeah. warmer, which signals to everyone around you, "Wow, you look so stupid. It must be cold." Yeah, where I'm from, a neck warmer is uh, something we put on other parts of our body. Like what? <laughs> what do you put it on? You should, you should cut it there. That's I think that's a good. No, thing I want to know what you would put it on because nobody, nobody is genetically gifted enough where they would need to have a neck warmer anywhere else. <laughs> hey, some people may be genetically gifted. I, I, you know, I don't know, but I not I, not thirteen <laughs> inches in circumference gifted. <laughs> If that's the case, I feel bad for any woman and or or anything else that comes in contact. Yeah, with I it. think I think it would have to be anything else. I don't think any women are. I don't think anybody's <laughs> essentially handling the circumference of a small pumpkin dealt in there. <laughs> okay, that's gonna go ahead and do it for this episode of the Profoundly Pointless Podcast. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. If you get a chance, like. Download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it, especially if you can leave a review. Hopefully a good one. If you actually listen to the show on a regular basis, though, we completely understand why it would be a bad one. But mention John's name in the bad review so I can specifically blame him. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.